either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, Memorial Day weekend, always a big one at the movies, but this year just feels a little more important with so many theaters finally getting back to business, and we've got some good movies to fill up those screens, and we'll talk about them. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with a return to the Abbott family, now facing the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking Beyond the Sand Path. This is A Quiet Place, Part 2. I don't know why you came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. People worth saving. Most people had finally given up hope. And we should probably say right away that the good review we're about to give this movie has nothing to do with the fact that John Krasinski showed up in person at our screening. That was very cool, though. <laughs> it was very cool. It was very cool. We had no idea. We had to drive, of course, we're based in Columbus, Ohio, and we had to drive to Cleveland, which is not that big a deal. Uh, but normally we don't have to drive that far to see a screening. But we were invited but told that this is it for Ohio. This is the only chance you're going to get to see this movie early. So... So we went up, and then they told us there was going to be a, a special guest after the screening. We never thought it was going to be him. In fact, you wanted to go. We were up. We were leaving. We were. Yeah, it didn't occur to me that it would be John Krasinski, certainly. No, and, you know, it was a long drive home, and I wanted to go. Uh, <laughs> and then then as we were leaving, the, the studio rep was like, Psst, John Krasinski's here. We're like, oh, I think, I think we do want to stay. Yeah. And he was great, and it turns out, I thought, I said, what, is he filming a, a movie here or something? No, he just, you, you may have heard about it by now, he was just picking different spots. He went to Miami for one, mm -hmm. uh, Cleveland, just did a Jersey? few. Yeah, just dropped in on audiences, and was just, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was. He's such a likable guy, yeah. a very talented guy, mm -hmm. and uh, just answered questions for about a half an hour, and just to help, you know, he was, he's talking about the, the fact that we're back watching movies in a community again. It's so great. And uh, and that's just one of the reasons we like this movie. But there are many other reasons. He has shown himself to be a very effective filmmaker. He takes over. Well, of course, he directed the first one, and he, he co-wrote the first one. But now he's the sole yep. writer on this one, too. And really, a, a nice job on both counts. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about this movie. And one of the things, though, in these two films that I just cannot get over is what a great director he is with action. Yeah. And toward the end of the film, he intercuts, the, the, the parties kind of split up, and he intercuts the action among, uh, yeah. and, and so, really so well, well, so seamlessly. Uh, it, was, it was very impressive. And I just, you know, one of the things I think that made this movie compelling, so it starts off as day one, so you get a chance to see the actual invasion. So and, that actually gives him a chance to be in it for yeah, a little while. For He's a minute. in the prologue. Right, and it also gets, you get to introduce a new character. And then it's day whatever, 476. So after the for day one, they just drop you immediately after the end of the previous film. And I like when, when films do that too. I did too, and I, I thought of an interesting point that I guess I, I hadn't thought of before people started asking me. 
But that really means that you don't have to have seen the first one. No. Uh, because you're getting now um, a prologue that we didn't get the first time. Right. So you're seeing how this whole thing started, which is kind of cool if you saw the first one mm-hmm. because you're interested. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't see the first one, you'll really only miss out on There's a couple of nice callbacks to things that happened in the first one, but it, it won't spoil anything for no. you if you didn't see the first one, no. even though we liked it. We, we would very much recommend it. But yeah, the prologue is great, and it's tense, and then we're off and running, and then we're back to picking up where the last film left off. And it, it is, it's so thrilling and well-plotted and paced, and you're right, the, they, they end up splitting the family because really the what's another great thing about this movie is the hero turns out to be the kids. In fact, the main hero main protagonist really turns out to be Reagan, young young teenage Reagan, played by Millicent Simmons. Yep. And she's great. The, she's whole, so the good. whole cast is great. Yes, the but whole cast she, is she great. She splits from the family because she's sure that there is a sort of a permanent safe haven that they could find. So she goes out hunting for that uh, on her own, and back at a, a compound, Mom, Emily Blunt, gets their, you mentioned the, the new... Uh, character that was introduced in the prologue, Emmett, that's pl- who's played by Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. She convinces him to go off after Reagan and bring her back to the compound, bring her back to the family. So that's the split you're talking about. Yep. And there are threats in, but the monsters are everywhere. Yep. Yep. And yeah, the way he layers those two narratives against each other, just so well done. Yeah, I mean, this, this movie is it's just lean and mean. It moves at such mm-hmm. a quick clip. It gives all of the characters... I mean, we get to know them better. There's more depth there. They yes. are they are growing, you know, uh, before our eyes. I think it's really smart the way that the the balance, the heroism shifts to mm-hmm. the to the next generation of this movie. And, and Noah Jupe is great. Yes. And Emily Blunt is great. Killian Murphy is wonderful, just wonderful. But it really is Millicent Simmons who I think anchors the film. Yeah, and then there is, a, as it goes along, there's also a deeper humanity here because it really undercuts the, the theme that you hear in the trailer of there are all always people worth saving. Yep. And without going overboard with it, he really brings that home and it should probably come as no surprise, especially if you saw the first one, how much of how how well he does with visual storytelling oh, yeah. because so much of, of this movie, this story is about being quiet, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of stretches without dialogue and he ha- he has the ability to say so much with these visual stretches that it's just it's really impressive. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And it's scary. And it's fun. It is, yeah. It's fun, but it is nerve-wracking. Very much so. Very much so. And it's one, they've been holding it and holding it and holding it for theaters, and I really think it pays off. Yeah. I really do. I this so is too. one to see with a crowd on a big screen. Well, you know, one of the greatest things about the first film is is was the crowd reaction, and which is not to say, like, jumps and startles. It was the silence. Yeah. Uh, you know, if somebody, like, opened a, a bag of candy, they stopped. Yeah. Like, you just, nobody wanted to make a sound. And, and that was such a great communal experience. And I guess the one thing that, if you didn't see the first one, one of the, one of the great things about the first one, too, is the fact that since you hadn't seen him before, the monsters were kind of teased until the end. Right. Well, now, Krasinski knows. He's assuming you saw the first one. There's no need for that. You get them early and often. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so, there's just, yeah, it's it's a great start to the Memorial Day weekend, and we wholeheartedly recommend A Quiet Place Part 2. The other big one this weekend is a live-action prequel feature film following a young Cruella DeVille. It's called Cruella. How does the saying go? I am woman, hear me roar. Yeah. 
just getting started, darling. The thing is, I was born brilliant. Born bad. And a little bit mad. <laughs> So this is not only in theaters, but it's also on Disney Plus Premium Access. So I think you have to pay an extra $29.99. But it's also in theaters. And let's start out right away, up up front. You are really not a fan of these villains getting a sweetened backstory. No, the wicketing. The wicketing. The wicketing. Because <laughs> um, um, Wicked, we were talking about this earlier. You're a big fan of Wicked. Yes. And I like the idea of it. I think it's incredibly clever. I love the Wicked Witch of the West. I do not want to see her neutered. As clever as that entire... But the worst thing about Wicked is how other... Right. Pl- like Disney, for example, is like, hey! It was so successful. We can make so much money by doing the same yep. thing. So the first yep. one they did, she was Maleficent. It is so weird. It's like they're taking my favorites from top to bottom. Maleficent is my... I, the reason I love Disney is because they have the best villains. And Maleficent was glorious. And th- then my second favorite villain is Cruella de Vil. So I was very much split mm-hmm. over this movie. I didn't really want it. On the other hand, you know, it's been described as... Um, the Joker meets Double Wears Prada, and I thought, huh, yeah. I, that's actually kind of a movie I want to see. <laughs> and Emma Thompson is in it. Now, Emma Stone is great, and I'm a big fan, but Emma Thompson I will see in anything. Yeah, and there's there's a lot that we both feel like, we've talked about this movie a lot, too, uh, this in the last few days, along with Quiet Place Part 2, but it seems like there is a really good movie buried under here. But it's a first of all, its runtime is two hours and fifteen minutes, and it feels even longer. It does because it takes a good, a solid forty-five minutes before you get to the catalyst for the story. Early on, there's so much voiceover narration, so much exposition. It just bogs, bogs down. It's a film that feels like it had a lot of hands in it. Yeah, too many hands. Yeah. It's directed by Craig Gillespie, who. Showed himself to be really a master of tone with I Tonya. Yes, such that that whole movie was just perfect tone. Yeah, it was. This one is a movie in search of tone. It's all over the place. What it does have going for it, the two Emmas, Emma Stone and Emma Thompson, both really, really good, especially when they're together and yeah. going at each other. Because the the gist of the story is. Emma Stone's character is originally named Estella, and she's a struggling fashion designer. And the story is how Estella becomes Cruella. And early on, once they go head-to-head, then there are times when Emma Stone is going back and forth, sort of the Jekyll and Hyde between the nice Estella and the mean Cruella. That was a lot of fun. And how droll and completely just evil and narcissistic Emma Thompson is as the Baroness von Hellman. That part I had a good time with, but man, you had to slog through the rest of it. Well, and the other thing is that even once that happens, which is really when the the film kind of begins, right? Is even once that happens, I feel like they had a hard time. Everything was buried. I want to talk for a second about the soundtrack because there are so many songs wedged into this movie, and and so often, like everything else, in this movie they go on for too long. Like yeah. every scene, they go. Off. So when you first, when we're first introduced to the Baroness, it starts with the opening segments of the Doors song Five to One, right. which is great. It was a great opening. It was a great. And, you know, it's my girl. It was great. 
But they also go into the lyrics, which have nothing to do with anything <laughs> and is just an example of how every single scene goes on for too long. They do that with it three or four different songs. Oh, they just seem to just jam them in there willy-nilly because it's set in the 60s and then into the 70s, so they're trying to use all these, I guess, time-stamped sort of hits, but they're just shoved in there, and it just they just keep coming at you, and it's part of the reason this film feels all over the place. One of the, the one that's perfect, the one that's perfect, I remember, my mind had wandered. I was sleepy by this point. I was tired of being watching this movie, and then I heard the opening chords of The Stooges, I Want to Be Your Dog, and I was immediately in. Yes, please. Where is this going? And um, it was a perfect idea. The execution wasn't bad. It's simply that it was just one more scene littered in here that didn't really amount to anything for no good reason. I really feel like if they had purged 45 minutes from this movie, they'd have had a great movie. At least. Also uh, fun as Horace and Jasper, the two uh, henchmen of Cruella. It's uh, Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser, and they're they're a lot of fun. They are great! But this movie is also peppered with characters that don't really serve a lot of purpose. Not them, they do. Yeah, they, they do, do serve a purpose. But there are characters that do they really need to be there? They don't. And for some of them, if you stick around through the credits, and I guess if you watch this, if you've made it two hours and 15 minutes, you might as well, you get a little bit of a stinger to, and, and a couple of the characters are explain that they were probably there just to set up the sequel. Exactly. That that they're a complete waste of your time, except that they right. tease a sequel. Right. So it looks good. It does. It really looks good, especially if you're into fashion. I think you'll probably dig that. <laughs> but, uh, boy, it just feels so bloated. When a movie is two hours and 15 minutes and feels like it's three hours. Uh, but there are pockets. I think maybe I liked it a little bit more than yeah, you did. I aged noticeably <laughs> during the course of this film. There are pockets of fun to be had. But, boy, you got to really slog through a lot of mud to, uh, to get to those. And, again, that's in theaters and on Disney Plus Premium Access, Cruella. Hey, how about a teen sex comedy? Following a straight-laced high school student and her slacker best friend who, after a regrettable first sexual encounter, have 24 hours to hunt down a Plan B pill in America's heartland. It's Plan B. Sorry, but I declined to offer you the Plan B pill. Have a nice day. Back. Let's go to Planned Parenthood in Rapid City. Hey, do you realize this is our first official road trip? Where are we on here? What do these red lines mean? This really is, needs a pension zone. I hate to tell you, but Planned Parenthood is probably closed for the night. My 24-hour window is closing. Ah! So the condom just fell out? I've been there. We need the morning after pill. I got one more right here. That could be anything. I got some pill. Sunny. Like a really small chance it might be PCP. This is funny and it's smart. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It's on Hulu. It's a Hulu original. And it is. It's a it's a teen sex comedy that has honesty. It has a couple of great performances in the lead. And uh, it has a lot of it has a lot to say without being too forceful about it. And they're in the heartland. Yeah, they're in South Dakota, and it's best friends Sonny and Lupe. And Sonny has a yeah regrettable, very awkward <laughs> hookup at a party in the bathroom and a very unfortunate condom accident. So the next morning, she is fearful that she could possibly be pregnant. So yeah, the plan is to get her a Plan B pill, which turns out to be a lot harder than they think it is going to be. And that, of course, is part of the message of the film. But it is very funny. These two actresses, Kuhu Verma plays Sunny, and Victoria Morales 
plays Lupe. They are great and great together. They, In different ways, they bring out all that just really mixed-up mash of angst and curiosity and self-doubt and, and cautious confidence. That is the teenage years. Yeah. And they very they seem very authentic, not only in their performances, but in their friendship. So they are great. And it becomes, in their search for the Plan B pill, they eventually have to take to the road and have to go to a neighboring city in Rapid City, South Dakota. And then, then it becomes a little bit of a road movie. So like every road movie, you've got a chance to set up hijinks at these different <laughs> stops along the way. And they get crazy and they get raunchy. There are some dry stretches where maybe you could use some more laughs, but the laughs do come. And, and by the end, they have a really, they have a lot to say, not only about friendship and about unconditional love from your family and from people that feel like family, but also about women, young women especially, finding their sexuality amid constant threats to their freedom of choice and mixed messages and double standards and all the things that they have to deal with right now. And and it really has a, a crazy, kooky way of dealing with some very serious issues. And I think it turned out to be a really worthwhile film. Natalie Morales is the director and the uh, screenwriters Joshua Levy and Prathiska Srinivasan. And I know I butchered that and apologies. But, uh, you know, even before the shutdown, there were plenty of very funny, worthwhile R-rated comedies that were just getting no eyeballs. And one of those was Booksmart. And this one sort of takes that, which was a, a female friendship-centric version of, of kind of the uh, the super bad setup, and then add some more sexual honesty to it, maybe from, from blockers, went in that direction, and really just good work all around. Again, it's available on Hulu, and we enjoyed it, called Plan B. Well, here's one that has us conflicted. It's an elderly gentleman going for what he assumes will be an ordinary day at the amusement park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare instead. It's the amusement park. The man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself separated only by the passage of time. Why are you punishing me like this? Hello? There's nothing, nothing out, out there. I'll see for myself. Bye. Well, first you need a little backstory on this one. This is the long-lost film, about 50 years long-lost, from legendary horror icon George A. Romero. He was hired by a charity organization in Pittsburgh to create a PSA about elder abuse. As weird as that sounds, he was paired with a writer he'd not worked with before. The writer uh, has has not worked since. And the project was so, well, not very good that (laughs) even the charity organization chose to shelve it. It It was voluntarily shelved. It was so off base from what they wanted. That both and, and at the time, it's funny to think about it now because it was just a it was just a few years removed from Night of the Living Dead. But through an unfortunate mix-up, he lost the copyright to Night of the Living Dead. Right, so, so he was broke. He was broke and needed the work and was happy to get it. But then, yeah, they didn't like what they got, so it sat there, unreleased for fifty some years, and now it's out, been restored. So we were looking very much forward to it, but boy, it is a it's it's just sort of a mess. Um, it is it's a really, really forceful metaphor that is clumsily put together. And especially when you include the the prologue and the epilogue, just just really like a, 
a Twilight Zone episode on steroids. Yeah, I'm, I, and I feel like maybe the prologue and epilogue, which are the actor, Lincoln Mazal, explaining what you're about to see and then explaining what you did see. And that's almost never a good idea because what you're seeing ought to stand on its own. So I feel like it might have been a last-ditch effort to get somebody to say, yes, this is the PSA we're looking for, but it felt like such a sledgehammer. Boy, it really was. It's only 52 minutes long, um, and there are some interesting ideas at work. There's there's a... a, Because he spends the day in this amusement park, and he finds nothing but ridicule and abuse and of course it's this one big metaphor for how the elderly are treated and there are some good ideas especially there's a visual of a a grim reaper just constantly Mm -hmm. showing up in the amusement park riding rides and things like that that was an interesting juxtaposition and then i sort of liked the vignette because as he moves along you could almost call him little vignettes uh, around the amusement park i liked one that featured a fortune teller Mm -hmm. dealing with a young couple of lovers who want to know know their future when they get old. And of course, it's not a pleasant future. I sort of think that that had possibilities. But boy, both of us were just disappointed about how it how it eventually was fleshed out with no nuance whatsoever. And no real story arc. It didn't work. It doesn't work as a feature film. It doesn't work as a horror film. It doesn't work as a PSA. Yeah. And I think it is interesting. You mentioned the writer Wally Cook. Didn't work before and hasn't worked since. This mm-hmm. this was it. And the the writing, everything starts as, as with the writing, which we've said many times. The writing here is bad. And I think there are some interesting visuals uh, from Romero. And, of course, he was trying to make it as as hellish and as confrontationally cynical yeah. uh, as is his want, which, which I think was where he was trying to go. And there are there are flashes of that where it could mm-hmm. have really worked. But in the end, um, it, it's not something that, that I think really only... Romero devotees yeah, would probably yeah would probably want to dig into, but I think it would be interesting to watch it without the epilogue and prologue. I think that might help. But the, right now, it is available in select theaters, uh, but it's also on Shutter. It is, and that is the amusement park. Let's do some fantasy horror. This is an action-packed flick depicting a supernatural serial killer based on pre-Columbian mythology in a hunt for revenge in the metropolis of Sao Paulo. This is Skull: colon, The Mask. Vai aceitar a nossa proposta ou não vai? First of all, I've got to think they could have come up with a better title than that. Yes, it's a dumb title. It's an interesting movie. It's a very much throwback cinema. There there was a time in horror, like maybe 78 to 81, where there were a lot of kind of guerrilla-style, maybe jungle-ish, very slash-and-burn kind of guerrilla horror films, mm-hmm. uh, cut-and-run. Uh, I mean, there were a bunch at the time. And this is, this is very much a callback to that. Uh, it, you start off in the Amazon where, uh, you know, through some really badly edited, intentionally so, uh, action sequences, somebody steals a skull and they try to uh, conduct a, a ceremony. It goes terribly, terribly wrong. And then you flash forward to an archaeological dig where the same skull is is uh, found. And from there, it's brought to Sao Paulo and 
all hell breaks loose. You know, it's very, very gory. The storyline is ridiculous and the acting is horrible. <laughs> and the police procedural is just nonsense. Um, and it's a humorless film. I mean, none of this is done for a camp factor. It's simply done because of the style of the film that they're making. You don't have to do anything otherwise. It very much matches the kind of films of the genre that they are sort of homaging. And it, you know, and if that's what you're looking for, I think you will enjoy it. It's got really uh, practical effects and practical gore, top notch, top notch, and a lot of it, a lot. Okay. So there is that. You just, you really have to be interested in watching a movie where that's primarily what you're going to get because, again, the performances are stupid, the writing is bad, <laughs> you know, the editing is intentionally poor, and, and the police work is questionable at best. But if you're down for the gore and the practical effects, might enjoy Skull the Mask, and that is now on Shudder. Next is the story of an American woman named Mildred Gillers, broadcasting Nazi propaganda during World War II. She was dubbed Axis Sally by the American GIs, who simultaneously loved and hated her. And this takes us into the dark underbelly of the Third Reich's hate-filled propaganda machine and Sally's eventual capture. It's called American Traitor, The Trial of Axis Sally. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your duty here today is to determine if the defendant is guilty of treason. Did you ever want the United States to lose the war? What would have happened if you refused to play your part? Saying no was never an option. And what happened to anyone who refused to follow directions? They disappeared. Mildred Gillis is on trial for reading from a script she did not write, she did not believe in. It's a psychological warfare in which she was a soldier. America is watching. We must not sacrifice this woman. Patriotism covering up a lynch mob. I was uh, intrigued by this movie because I maybe shouldn't admit this. I'd never heard of Axis Sally. Mm-hmm. Hanoi Hannah I was familiar with Tokyo as a concept. Rose, same yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. Right, but uh, but not Axis Sally. I didn't know about this. And, uh, and she was a real person, and she was tried for treason. And so it's an interesting idea. It's like, well, she was American-born, but she was not an American citizen, so can it be treason if she's right. not an American citizen? Also, um, you know, she didn't write the scripts. Right. She was an actor, so can that be held no, against her? Is she a propagandist? It's an interesting question. It is. None of those are brought up or, or answered. <laughs> um, and uh, the movie is... And also, I will. Uh, one of the other reasons that it was interesting to me, two reasons. One is that Michael Polis directed it, and he has uh, he has done some really weird, very interesting films in his career. And I'm I'm a bit of a fan. Uh, Twin Twin Falls, Falls Idaho, Idaho was yeah. his first movie. Yeah, he usually works from a script written by his brother, Mark Polish, who did not write this movie. And then also a reason to be interested was that Al Pacino is in it, and he plays the defense lawyer. And I thought, well, if nothing else, we'll get some Pacino relish. You're out of order! Exactly. Which you get. You absolutely do. (laughs) The whole thing comes down to, and he's disheveled, and he's quirky, and he's weird, and then, of course, he gets to deliver the closing statements, the closing arguments. Of course he does. That you only get to see in a movie, right? So uh, that's fine. Every single second the Pacino is not on the screen is unendurable. <laughs> it's so bad. The writing is so bad. The performances are so embarrassing, especially and I you know what I, I really do, genuinely, I hate to seem mean. I hate to be mean to this person who who worked so hard to shoulder this film as Axis Sally, Meadow Williams. She's awful. Yeah, and it's interesting because we just saw her in boss level, and she had a smaller part, but perfectly fine. There's there's no reason to think that she would be awful in, in carrying a movie, so you wonder what happened. Yeah, I mean, this would be a tough part because she's, you know, she's hated, she's loathed, she's somebody who betrayed her 
country of birth. And, you know, but that's the thing. I mean, a good actor, this would be a lot to dig into, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I suppose there are moments that you could say maybe that's stoicism that she's trying to convey. But I mean, there are other moments where she has to break down emotionally and you just have to not you have to look away. Mm. But the other thing I think was is that she, you know, she plays an entertainer. And she sings and dances, and she's wow, she's just awful. She's just awful, and I, 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 she's not the only one. Yeah, everybody is awful. And there's a Mitch Pileggi sighting. X Files fans going to recognize him. Yeah, I. God, this movie was awful. And that is uh, on VOD. If you do want to check it out, it's American Trader: The Trial of Axis Sally. And we'll close with a love story set in New York's Kiki Ballroom scene. It follows Paul, a 20-year-old Midwesterner, who arrives at the Central Bus Station and quickly catches eyes with Y, a 22-year-old girl voguing on the sidewalk. This is Port Authority. This is my family. Like, you gotta look around. Maybe I don't want people thinking I'm something I'm not. Tell me you didn't feel anything. You know what can happen to a black trans girl in New York City? She definitely don't need no felony on record. When did you know you liked me? Who says I like you? I just think about taking back all the space that the world doesn't give me and just owning it. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at Mad Wolf, and he really liked it. He was very impressed by the honesty in the the romance and also by the two lead performances. Yeah, and this is executive producer Martin Scorsese, so it will not surprise anyone that it's very New (laughs) York-based. But the writer-director here is Danielle Lesovitz. And one of the things Brandon pointed out was, just like so many great Scorsese films, New York itself sort of becomes a character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And it's a film that looks at... Accepting yourself for who you are, accepting other people, kind of shaking off the insecurities and the damage that you come to a relationship with. And Fionn Whitehead, who was in Dunkirk, he's really wonderful in this movie. And he's really the lead, the person who has the the farthest to grow. But also his co-star, just magnificent. Lena Bloom. A trans actress named Lena Bloom. And she is, she really is. I mean, she just lights up the screen. And the two of them together are so tender and wonderful. Exactly. And this was this one is in select theaters? Yes, it is. You can see it at Gateway Film Center if you are in Columbus, Ohio, which is now open for business. Like so many other theaters across the country. And that is so great to say. Uh, patronize your theaters. And I know a lot of them have caps on their attendance right now, maybe 50% or something like that. But, boy, it's great to have them back, and I know you want to support them, so please do. And with that, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer, for the latest news. I know we talked a little bit Last week about the whole MGM Amazon thing, so now it's it's gone down. Yep, it has happened. They have paid the whopping price tag of eight point four five billion dollars for MGM, which is pretty insane. Although I, a lot of people pointed towards the franchises that they're getting, but I'm I'm not really sure that's the main reason they they popped for it. I I think at the end of the day, it's the MGM back catalog that they want to boost you know, their their prime uh, content with mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we've talked a couple of times about all of the studios or most of the studios launching their own streaming services, which means eventually all of the existing contracts that, you know, third-party places like Amazon and Netflix have had with these studios are going to lapse, and then they're going to start losing a lot of titles. 
So Amazon buying MGM gives them a permanent, you know, back catalog beyond what they've made themselves. Right. Yeah, it seemed like an inevitability, and now this is the first domino to fall, I guess. So what else is going on? Uh, beyond that, we've got uh, Paramount has finally set a premiere date for their Mark Wahlberg movie Incident on Paramount+. Plus. It will premiere on June 10th. Magnet will release the Swedish horror film The Evil Next Door in theaters on June 25th. Universal has moved up the release of The Boss Baby 2. I'm sure you're excited about that. <laughs> you, you read our mind. Now, Right? <laughs> you can't see the looks on our faces, but you, you knew what they were before. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can guess. Um, <laughs> that one's going to arrive on July 2nd, and it will be available in theaters and on Peacock, their street, Universal streaming service, on the same day. Disney's Searchlight Pictures is going to start rolling out Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch into theaters on October 12th. Woohoo! Cool. Then I got a couple for you for early next year. Um, Universal's releasing Scott Derrickson's The Black Phone in theaters next year on January 28th, and that one's a bit of a sinister reunion because it also stars Ethan Hawke and James Ransone and Scott Derrickson's same co-writer from that film. Nice. We've got Roland Emmerich's Moonfall arriving in theaters on February 4th. And I want you to just take a, a moment to guess what the plot of that one is about. Moonfall? This is yes. Roland Emmerich, so is it dumb? It's some sort of cataclysmic, <laughs> the, the moon where the moon is going to disappear. Well, it, it will be falling towards Earth. There you go. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like snakes uh, on a plane. What's that about, I wonder? <laughs> Very uh, on-point title right there. And then uh, Universal's Focus Features will release Robert Eggers' new film, The Northman, yeah. on April 8th. Yeah. Get some Viking violence going on there. Ready for it. Can't be more excited. And then the only other thing is, is of course, we, we were just talking about uh, services wanting content, and uh, it's given rise to a lot of odd choices of late. The new Hellraiser film, which David Bruckner is going to do, will end up being a Hulu exclusive. The new extension of the Evil Dead franchise, Evil Dead Rise, will be going to HBO Max. And apparently HBO Max will also be hosting a new Garbage Pail Kids animated series. <laughs> so things are getting a little weird of late. <laughs> <laughs> things are getting weird in the uh, in the lobby. Oh, man, that's good stuff. All right, you can always catch up with Daniel, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, uh, on Twitter, at The Schlocketeer. And thanks, as always. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, looking ahead to next week, we've got a horror film to lead the way. It's the latest in the Conjuring universe called The Devil Made Me Do It. We also have the animated Spirit Untamed. Okay, Gully. Monuments. Edge of the World. Undina. Yeah, I saw that one a few weeks ago, and right. now it's finally coming out. Caveat. Under the Stadium Lights. Deadly Illusions. And Changing the Game. Okay, and probably there'll be some other things pop up. We will see. But until then, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Are you digging a quiet place? Did you like Cruella more than we did? Because I'm certainly seeing some some reviews that are much more positive. But uh, let, let us know what you thought about it. Or maybe check out Plan B or some of the others. Always fun to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can catch all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts called Fright Club. Always there for you at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Have a great holiday weekend. And uh, until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Shh.
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>